Don't let your legacy IT systems cost you money, innovation, and a place at the digital table of the future. You can change your systems and the economics of IT with software from Red Hat. See how at redhat.com. On Friday, January 27th, on his eighth day in office, President Donald Trump signed an executive order at the Pentagon. The content of the action was rumored for days, but no one quite knew what the order was going to mean on a practical level. Secondly, I'm establishing new vetting measures to keep radical Islamic terrorists out of the United States of America. We don't want them here. We want to ensure that we are not admitting into our country the very threats our soldiers are fighting overseas. We only want to admit those into our In L.A., Hussein Kasai, the CEO and co-founder of a mid-sized technology startup called Onfido, was at his family's home when the news broke. He didn't really think much of it at first. There's been a few executive orders that actually don't mean anything. In terms mm-hmm. of legally being enforceable, they don't mean much. So my first reaction was, this is another one, and that this, this it just seems, I'm not a lawyer, but it just seems like pretty common sense that uh, it just seems more, mostly like, I can't see how legally this could be enforced. Um, so it got real for me when, when I saw the protests at, at airports, including JFK. On and Saturday. Then, on Saturday. And then reports that, that the individuals had now been either detained or asked to go back. And after I had just calls from and then messages from lawyers or, or others offering support and saying, don't sign this and, and so on if, if you're traveling. Trump's order halted citizens of seven majority Muslim countries from coming into the U.S. That's Syria, Iran, Iraq, Libya, Somalia, Sudan, and Yemen and included people with valid U.S. work visas, and initially, green cards too. Hussein doesn't simply disagree with the ban. It affects him and his family directly. His father is Iranian. Hussein himself spent 10 years of his childhood in Iran, and he's a British-Iranian dual citizen. Hussein is also a green card holder, which means he's a legal resident. But he's nervous that because of his Iranian citizenship, his status here in the U.S. might not be as secure as he once thought. And that means it's going to get a lot harder for him to run his business. A major part of the reasons why myself and others have moved to places like the U.S. or, or, or Europe is, is because it's different. It's yeah. because, you know, there's the rule of law, there's justice, there's freedom, there's democracy and all these things. Um, so this is particularly surprising for us because we know what, it's, what the other way is like. Yeah. And hence, it's not uh, normal. It's, it's dangerous. It's, it's a starting point of a very dangerous road to go down. Hi, I'm Aki Ito. And I'm Olivia Zaleski. And this week on Decrypted, we're discussing Trump's executive order and what it means for the tech industry. Across the country over the last week and a half, we've been hearing stories like Hussein's. We've heard them especially loud and clear here within the tech community, which relies heavily on the brains and the labor of skilled foreign immigrants. For weeks since Trump won the election, tech executives have been trying to make nice with him. But after this executive order, Silicon Valley is in full revolt. We'll see what this could mean for the tech industry going forward as we hear reports of even broader restrictions on foreign workers.
Over the last week and a half, the details have been changing quite a bit. So we're going to recap what we know for now. For one, anyone who was born in or is a citizen of the seven Muslim-majority countries has been stopped from entering the U.S. for 90 days. It means that people who are in the U.S. when the order was issued cannot travel internationally. Otherwise, they might not be able to come back in. Now, the order never applied to U.S. citizens. And as for green card holders, they were getting detained at first. But then Homeland Security Secretary John Kelly came out and said green card holders will be allowed in unless there's reason to believe they pose a threat to national security. And the situation has been changing fast. There's been a storm of legal challenges. And on Friday, February 3rd, a federal judge ordered a nationwide temporary block to the travel ban. As a result, over this past weekend, border officials stopped enforcing the executive order, and the State Department has reversed its cancellation of what's said to be tens of thousands of visas for people from these seven countries. But Trump isn't backing down. Immediately after the federal judge ordered the suspension of the ban, the administration asked a federal appeals court to reinstate it, and the president has put out a couple tweets. One said... Quote, the opinion of this so-called judge, which essentially takes law enforcement away from our country, is ridiculous and will be overturned. Another tweet from Trump said, when a country is no longer able to say who can and who cannot come in and out, especially for reasons of safety and security, big trouble. As of taping this on Monday, February 6th, we're still waiting to hear a final decision from the appeals court. Whichever side loses could even bring this to the Supreme Court. This all means that Hussein, the CEO of the startup on Fido, is in limbo. On Fido is based in the UK, but Hussein spends most of his time here in the US, which has become his company's largest and fastest growing market. He spends about three to four weeks here in the US for every week he spends in the UK. And perhaps ironically in this context, Unfido verifies people's identities and runs background checks. The entire company is now just shy of 150 people, with 11 in the rapidly growing U.S. office. And, and any company, be it growing tech in particular, co-founders play a pretty important role. Anything from, from enterprise client sales to recruitment to infrastructure work, to just whiteboard sessions with the team on the product side and on the talent side and a whole range of areas. It is why it is important to be mobile. Now, Hussein says he's fortunate that even if he's forced to leave his life in California, he could still return to the UK. He says his startup's US business has grown enough that it could still run without him being physically there. 18 months ago, we may, most definitely would have had to um, think of alternative plans. Mm. We are now, just because we're constantly looking to recruit and constantly looking to grow, um, but we're probably at a stage where it's, it's if I spend less time, it's not going to be as damaging as it would have been 18 months ago. But that's not true for all startup founders. The night before Trump signed the executive order, another Iranian entrepreneur, Sasha Eslami, was boarding a flight to Argentina. He was planning to spend two months there recruiting for his fledgling photo-sharing app called Eversnap. He spoke to our reporter, Shelley Hagan, about it. Um, I arrived to Buenos Aires 11 p.m. the day after Buenos Aires time. Um, all of a sudden, it starts getting um, 
messages from one of my friends in the U.S. that he's telling me uh, about what Trump has done. And at first I thought, okay, well, this is really bad, but it shouldn't affect me because I'm a green card holder, uh, permanent resident. Then a few, uh, one hour later, he sent me an article about how it's been confirmed that also permanent residents are also banned. So um, then all of a sudden things, you know, gets uh, pretty scary because... I have all my all my business in the U.S. I have a gigantic house in San Jose that I have all my stuff there. You know, I, I go to meetings all the time, right, with business partners, with investors, with founders when I'm in the U.S. And it's something that my business relies on, me being able to be there most of the time. For now, Sasha's hope is that by the time he's done with his two months recruiting in Argentina, any ambiguity will be resolved, at least for green card holders like him. Nobody knows how it's going to play out within the next couple of weeks, right? Um, every day we're getting some sort of new information, right? And it's not, even the administration themselves, they're not clear like, on what it entails. So my plan is to just, you know, wait a week or two, see how everything unfolds, right? And then take a take an education, educated decision um, after that. And then there's another couple we spoke with. The husband's an engineer at one of the biggest tech companies here in Silicon Valley, and he's been in the U.S. for nine years. His wife is a medical researcher at a large university in California, and she's been here for 17 years. They're both from Iran, and they've asked us not to use their names or their employers' names because unlike Hussein and Sasha, they don't have the security of a U.S. green card. Their application's pending, and now they're worried it's never going to come through. I mean, the instability, the unpredictability is just unbelievable. We had plans. We had, I mean, I'm, I'm a kind of a math type, so I would just like look at the investments and figure out what's the right amounts to do in the 401k and what's the right balance of the funds and all that stuff, figuring out based on what when we want to retire, based on when we want to buy a house. And you start planning for 30, 40 years in the future in some way, right? And those uh, plans were here in the United yes, States. Yes. And, and then suddenly, now we're thinking about plans for tomorrow, next week, next month, trying to predict what could happen if that happens, what can I do? How can I move fast? How can I be very dynamic to handle various different scenarios? It becomes from a stable life with the future, in one day or two, it changes into a survival mode life in a way that I know nothing about my future. I don't know if, I, if I'm going to be able to legally work or stay at my home. I don't know where in the world I can go because I can't go back to Iran. For various reasons, including that I'm, I'm not a Muslim and I'm an atheist. Well, what would happen if you went back to Iran and they knew you? So, to be honest, I'm not 100% sure. They may not care that much or they may care a lot. A lot of it is kind of arbitrary, which I'm kind of worrying may happen here too, arbitrary stuff. Uh, if they don't like you for some reason, they, they're going to dig up everything on you and then attach that label to you and then take your life away in various ways. Coming up, we take a look at how the tech industry has reacted to the executive order. That's right after these words from our sponsor.
Inside the most successful organizations, IT has gone from supporting the business to driving the business. But the costs of legacy infrastructure can impede this progress. Budgets can't stretch enough to pay for digital innovation at the speed required. No one gets a blank check. The answer is to change the economics of your IT by shifting from ownership to use, from licenses to subscriptions, from proprietary to open. Change the economics of IT with open software from Red Hat. Learn more at redhat.com. So far, we've heard from Hussein, Sasha, and the couple who we're not naming today. They're all directly affected by the travel ban. And I think you can really hear the uncertainty and the devastation in each of their voices. You know, what's been really striking to me is how swift the response was from the tech community, just how vociferous it was. At least at the beginning, we didn't hear a whole lot from other industries. And this was after months of careful steps that the tech industry was taking to reconcile with Trump. Tesla CEO Elon Musk and Uber CEO Travis Kalanick both agreed to join the president's advisory board. And a host of tech leaders, they went to Trump Tower to meet the then-president-elect during the transition. But after the travel ban, top tech leaders like Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg have spoken out. He wrote a very personal post about his wife's parents, that they were refugees from Vietnam and China. It was on the very day that the order was signed. Google CEO Sundar Pichai sent out an internal memo talking about the more than 100 employees who've been affected by the actions. And he said that it's painful to see the personal cost of Trump's actions. And Uber's Kalanick, who joined Trump's advisory council, he announced on Thursday that he was stepping down from the committee. In Seattle, Amazon and Expedia filed declarations that support Washington state's lawsuit against the executive order, detailing how the travel bans hurt their businesses. This was the very lawsuit that led to the nationwide temporary suspension of the travel restrictions. And in New York, an industry group called Tech NYC came out with a public letter to Trump opposing the executive order. And it was signed by some of the biggest names in the New York tech scene. I spoke to their executive director, Julie Samuels. Many of the leaders in our tech community here in New York City felt that they wanted to do something. And, you know, in these instances, it's kind of hard to know what to do. Uh, we're here in New York. We're not in D.C. These executive orders had been signed already. So we took the opportunity to put together a letter, which you can see um, at, on our website, which is techNYC.org. Within 12 hours, we had over 400 signatures. Um, all this took place on a Sunday afternoon, which is also notable. Um, people were coming out of the woodwork. So this gets us to the question of why immigration? Why was it this, the travel restrictions, that provoked such an outcry from the tech industry? Well, for one, entrepreneurs are at the core of the tech industry. These tiny startups are often the ones coming out with the crazy next new things that end up taking off. Between 2007 and 2011, nearly 45 percent of new businesses in California were started by people born outside the U.S., our reporter Shelley discussed this in more details with David Mendels, the CEO of Brightcove. They're a mid-sized online video software company in Boston. 
you know, I think you have to keep in mind that most of the tech community is in places like Massachusetts, where we are, uh, Silicon Valley in California, uh, New York City, uh, the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area. And these are people that live in incredibly diverse communities. Um, for us, the idea of working with a uh, Muslim individual of Iranian descent is not an abstract idea. That's something I do every day. I think everybody here knows people who are being targeted or feel like they're being targeted by this. And so I think you really have no choice if you want to be true to the people around you, but to feel strongly about this. So that's one point, that these are your friends and your coworkers and your neighbors. A related point is that, given how difficult it is for companies to find good coders, tech companies don't want to lose any of them. Google alone said there are over 100 employees affected by the ban. Yeah, I actually didn't know this until we started reporting for this podcast, but there's a big community of Iranian engineers here in the Valley. And industry executives here are also worried that it's going to hurt their ability to do business around the world. Here's David again. Well, I think there's all kinds of things that could happen in the future, and there's all kinds of spin-on effects. So how's the rest of the world going to react to an America that is closing its borders, uh, not just with immigration issues and refugee issues, but also all of the talk about tariffs? Um, that's a problem for me. Uh, our business is approximately uh, 40% outside the United States. We're an exporter. It is not in my interest uh, for us to... Uh, put up walls, uh, metaphorical ones in this case, uh, that make it harder for people to do business with countries in the United, companies in the United States, because I think uh, what we'll see is retaliation. You know, it's hard to predict where things are going to go from here. But our colleagues in Asia, Peter Elstrom and Saritha Rai, obtained a draft of a new executive order that the Trump administration's considering. And that draft proposes to make it harder for all foreigners to get a work visa here. The draft, which we should say has not come into effect, for now it's just a draft that's being passed around, says the changes would prioritize and protect, quote, American workers, our forgotten working people, and the jobs they hold. And we'll note here that over the years, there have been some reports that some companies may be abusing the H-1B work visa program, that they hire foreign workers so that they can pay them lower wages than they would otherwise pay their American workers. But TechNYC's Julie says that when smart, skilled foreigners come to work in the U.S., Americans end up benefiting, too. It is incredibly important that we have open immigration policies that attract the best, the brightest from other countries here to build businesses here, to create jobs here. That's incredibly real. Uh, the list of big companies that were founded or co-founded by an immigrant um, is an incredible list. It includes Tesla, it includes Facebook, it includes some really big companies. Research shows that net new job growth in the United States comes from new firms. So while, of course, the majority of startups fail, the ones that grow uh, are the ones that create all the new jobs. So we want people here growing those companies. Oh, Google. I left Google off the list. Think about how many new jobs Google has created in the last decade. Hussein, the CEO of Anfido, who we heard from earlier, is another example of this. He's created 11 jobs here in the U.S. through his startup, and he's looking to hire more people. 
And many of the tech workers affected by this measure don't think they'll be replaced by American workers. The Iranian engineer, whose wife is a medical researcher, well, he said his employer has already offered to move them to another international office, if that becomes necessary. The thing is that it's not like a job that if if I leave, it's it's sitting there and somebody get it. I have the job because of the particular skill sets that I have. If I move, they move with me. It's It's not that... There is a it's, hole and there's an opening that if I'm not there, somebody else can fill it. It's it's not that we are taking somebody's jobs. It's yeah, that we have those like jobs. Us, a lot of people like us, the job kind of gets created for the person. You want this kind of person and you figure out how to use them to push forward your goals in your company or your, uh, or your uh, university or, or something like that. So, as you said, it's, it's not like the, there's a, there's a hole, hole to fill. Anfidos Hussein also told his two Iranian employees that he'll move them to the UK if it comes to that. Yeah, it's not like he's going to fire them and hire two Americans in their place. Well, for now, we'll leave you on this note. Since the executive order was officially signed on Friday, have you both discussed potentially leaving the United States, maybe going to Canada, maybe going to Europe? Yeah. All of the above. Um, I think we are thinking about um, looking at every everywhere that we can potentially go. This was the first thing that came to our mind, that what if this continues? This is not just uh, the one time. Yeah. There is no one in this world who can ever decide where they, where they want to be born. No one has ever been able to decide that. You are born somewhere. And the hope was that there is this place on Earth, um, a particular country on the North American continent that didn't discriminate based on where you were born, right? To us, I think America is more than just a country with certain borders. It's an idea. And I felt that that idea is shattering, that We've been searching for equality, right? And I I grew up uh, in a kind of a lower middle class family in Iran. I grew up, my family was not connected in any ways to the power powers. Uh, I was always a second class citizen back home in so many ways by not believing, by not being connected, by not being rich. And this was a country where we thought those things wouldn't matter. We thought, and, and we saw it everywhere. We saw it in the movies, we saw it in the media, we saw it in the laws, we saw it in the constitution, we saw it in the movements. I mean, the civil rights movement, the feminism movement. I mean, we said, okay, this is a country where people have fought for those values and they've achieved them. And we can go there and have it and be there with these amazing people.
That's it for this week's Decrypted. Thanks for listening. Well, tell us what you thought of this episode. Send a voice message to our producer, Pia, at P-G-A-D-K-A-R-I at Bloomberg.net. Or write to me on Twitter. I'm at Olivia Zaleski. And I'm at Aki Ito 7 You can subscribe to Decrypted on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. And leave us a rating and a review. This helps us make our show better. And it also gets our podcast in front of more listeners. This episode was produced by Pia Gedkari, Magnus Henriksen, and Liz Smith. Shelley Hagen and Sarah Fryer helped with additional reporting. We'd like to say a special thanks to Shober Shobiri, who runs the Persian Tech Entrepreneurs Network. He connected us with a variety of startups for today's show. Alec McCabe is head of Bloomberg Podcasts. We'll see you next week. Don't let your legacy IT systems cost you money, innovation, and a place at the digital table of the future. You can change your systems and the economics of IT with software from Red Hat. See how at redhat.com.